Hello and welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. I really hope you find one thing to try or adopt from today's book to make work better. Hold the front page, a, a healthier, happier team um, actually works better. If people have enthusiasm about their work, uh, they enjoy coming to work, they're healthier, they're happier, they're more relaxed, you're going to get better output. That's the voice of Andrew Barnes. He's the author of The Four Day Week. And I can't think of a better time to be hearing Andrew's insights than now. Where New Zealand, where I am, is currently in various phases of COVID-19 lockdown again. Congratulations to Alicia Odering for winning a copy of our last book, How Confidence Works. Thank you to everyone who's listening and getting in touch. Please stay tuned to our episodes on booksatwork.co.nz. I'd love it if you shared today's four-day week episode with at least one other person who you think might like it. So into our speed read of the four-day week. The four-day week, as prescribed in this book, is not about working 40 hours in four days or losing a day of pay by cutting hours to four days a week. The four-day week is all about doubling down on productivity while you're working and only working four days and getting paid for five. Andrew Barnes puts this in place at Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand, and he's now influencing companies globally to follow suit. Andrew started by asking just how productive are we in the hours that we're at work? It's a hugely compelling question that came about in the face of research that showed the respondents were spending around about six and a half hours a day checking emails, plus they spent time at night on their work emails. And then add in our always-on culture, with smartphones interrupting, time with family and friends, and making it harder to relax and recuperate outside of work. The seed of the four-day week for Andrew was research that showed British workers were productive on average about two and a half hours a day, and for Canadian workers, for as little as one and a half hours a day. Another 2017 UK survey of around 2,000 full-time office workers in the UK found the average time working is 2 hours 53 minutes. So what are they spending the rest of their time on? Well, things like social media, reading news websites, personal calls, talking to co-workers about non-work things, text messaging, searching for new jobs, taking smoker breaks and preparing food and drinks. All this got Andrew thinking about what productivity was actually like in his organisation of 240 people at Perpetual Guardian, New Zealand's largest statutory trust company supervising over $200 billion in assets. So he decided to try out a four-day week. Productivity was the number one objective of the trial. He did also want to find out what could be achieved with things like work-life balance, stress, mental and physical health, presenteeism and hyperconnectivity by asking people to do more in the office in exchange for more time away from it. The formula was this, 100% of pay, 80% of time and 100% of productivity. 
Before we talk to Andrew in more detail, let me run through the key insights and how to do it. First off, building trust. The four-day week is an employee-led process where the magic bullet is trust, according to Andrew. Don't overthink it. The formula he's using is four days, 100% of pay, 80% of time, delivering 100% of agreed productivity. So the day off is, in effect, a gift. Run a trial or don't. A trial makes it easier to generate an empowered, engaged and staff-led discussion. But Andrew says at some point you will need to take the leap and just do it. Embrace time as a scarce resource and challenge your workforce to deliver their current productivity in four days, not five. It's up to them to point out things that soak up their time and prevent them from achieving the productivity targets and enjoying the four-day week. Ask about the difference that open plan workplaces might be making. How are disruptions affecting productivity? Are meetings growing or decreasing productivity? According to the four-day week book and formula, for productivity to go up, disruption must go down. Let's get into all of this some more with Andrew. So I'm really pleased to welcome to Books at Work, Andrew Barnes, the author of The Four-Day Week. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. Now, our first question is always, where in the world are you and what is that view out your window today? Well, I'm currently in the UK. Um, My view out the window is pretty bad, actually, because it's about nine o'clock at night. It's very dark. But I'm actually looking across our beautiful lawn heading up into the woods just outside of uh, Farnham in England. Sounds beautiful. And I can see you on the screen, but others can't. And you've got a lovely little corner there. It looks lovely. So thanks a lot for, for coming on Books at Work. Want to get into the nitty gritty of the really practical things about the four-day week. Um, and really keen to understand from your perspective, what is the purpose of the four-day week? What, what's the point of it? Well, I have to say, from my perspective, I was looking to work out how I could improve productivity in my company because I'd read all this stuff about people being only productive for up to, you know, three hours a day. And I wondered if you would get a different output if, in fact, you gave people more time, partly to recharge their batteries, but also that was the deal by which you'd said to them, look, if you can do certain things differently, if you can eliminate that unproductive component of when you're at work. If I give you a day off in return for that, would I actually get higher levels of productivity? Now, the answer, of course, is yes. All the other stuff that you get, all the work-life balance, all of those issues, all come for free. But that wasn't the journey that I started on in 2018. Um, Is it about output, not about kind of culture and collaboration and those other things that you get at work? Is it, is it purely, well, was it purely about output? Well, output is a form of measurement. You've got to work out how do you get to that. And one of the things that happens with a four-day week is that by definition, you need better forms of teamwork. You need people to work better together. You need people to have respect, not just for their own time, but for others' time. And so when you get that, what you actually get off the back of that is higher levels of productivity. And we saw that when we ran the research alongside our trial, we saw that there were much higher levels of teamwork, resilience, cohesion, um, 
coordination between all sorts of bits of the business that we didn't see before we implemented the four-day week. There is a quote in the book that I love that I do want to drop in now um, because it's kind of vaguely relevant. You talk about that people work better when they're empowered, engaged, stimulated, acknowledged for their abilities and treated with respect. And yeah, I just I did want to get that into the conversation because I just think it's such a lovely quote and you know, it it, it it kind of fits with what, what, what you've said. Just wondering, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, look, I mean, no shit, you know. I mean, <laughs> hold the front page. A, a healthier, happier team um, actually works better. I mean, this is a, a thing, you know, from my old Navy days. You know, a good ship is a happy ship. And, and you get the same. If people have enthusiasm about their work, uh, they enjoy coming to work, they're healthier, they're happier, they're more relaxed, you're going to get better output. Um, you're also going to get a better experience and the company's going to be a lot better place to work. So, yeah, it's it's earth-shattering, isn't it? Te- treat your, your staff like adults and you might actually get a great result. <laughs> so can we get into the nitty-gritty of how the four-day week actually works? Is it about everybody having Friday off? No, look, that, that's the clickbait, right? Um, everybody, I, I'd be a very rich man if I got a dollar for every time somebody said what would it be like if you had a three-day weekend we talk about 180 100 rule 100 percent pay 80 percent time provided we get 100 percent productivity now critically that rule can apply to people on five days a week but it can also apply to part-time staff as well you know do your job your output that we're looking for in 80 percent of the time now in our company, some people take a day off. Some people take a couple of half afternoons off. Uh, some people work five days, but they come in late, go home early. That especially is the case if you've got working parents. The key thing is that we give people the time off that is important to them. There is no point giving somebody a benefit that they don't want. But if you give somebody something that they value, that they can't put a price on, then that in turn drives the behaviors that we're looking for in the four-day week. So it's reduced hours working. It's not uh, four longer days or four days where you always take, you know, Friday off. So what are the factors that are needed to ensure that those four days that you're working are productive? What's the environment like and what are the factors that are needed? It's one of these interesting things. Is one of the people things people always say to me. Well, how do you measure productivity? And and of course, the immediate answer to that is, well, that tells me that you're not measuring productivity. What you're doing is using time as the surrogate for productivity. So what we did is is right from the get go, we said to people, look, how should we measure you? How should we judge you? What is it that we should be seeing from you that will prove that you're doing what you can do? You Normally, in in five days, you can now do it in four. Now, the reason for doing that is as much for people to identify the activities that they're doing that are not productive as it is to identify the things that are productive. What am I doing that's actually a filler or busyness or inefficient? And then after you've got that, to be brutally honest, I don't look at it anymore. I don't have to look at it anymore because I look at my bottom line I look at my revenue, I look at my net promoter score, 
I look at the feedback that I'm getting from customers and they keep improving. So I don't bother anymore until, you know, something, if there was a problem that was identified often from the customer, then you delve into it. But actually, once this is part of the culture, you don't really need to overthink it. So in the book, you talk about doing a trial and you talk about the need for this to come from the, the, the people, to come for it to be worked out by the people. Can you just explain that a little bit more and, and how that has worked in your experience? Yeah, the, 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 the thesis here is uh, if you think that people are only productive for three hours a day, then there is sort of, you know, think about this four or five hours where stuff is going wrong. And you're not getting productivity. And, and the staff know that as well. So actually, if you want to get higher productivity, what you've got to do is eliminate the things that are stopping them being productive. Now, if I say I'm bringing in a consultant to do that, my staff will hear one thing and one thing only, and that is job cuts. As soon as he proves we can do it in four days, you know, we'll be seeing 20% of the staff gone. Doing it this way, I'm empowering the staff to say, actually, find those inefficiencies, stop those unproductive behaviors. And the prize isn't me making more profit. The prize is you having a day off. So what that does is it changes the dynamic. The things that staff often would have kept quiet about actually suddenly becomes an impediment to their getting a day off. So you get this actually um, upwelling, if you will, of ideas that you can then use to improve the way your company operates. So what were some of the ideas that your staff came up with, your people came up with? <clears throat> well, breathtakingly simple. You know, this is the one about cut the meeting times down. Uh, you've probably seen the, the research from Microsoft in Japan that, that limited meetings to half an hour five people in a meeting and use Microsoft Teams and got a 40% a improvement in productivity on that one thing. <clears throat> we have things like the quiet hour. You put a flag in a pot. And what that means is for an hour, you are not interrupted. Now, statistically, you get interrupted, <clears throat> excuse me, once every 11 minutes in an office generally it takes you 22 minutes to get back to full productivity so if you have an hour where you are not interrupted that's the equivalent of about three hours of productivity now remember you only have to get if you're only productive for three hours a day 45 minutes of additional productivity in each of the four days in order to make up productivity so if you do that for four days where you're getting the equivalent of three hours out of an hour, actually what happens is you get more productivity out of your four days than you got out of the five. Now, these are simple things. Yes, there were process changes later on, but a lot of the original things were behavioral. Um, we found also that internet surfing on the top five non-work-related internet sites dropped 35% people decided that tracking the Kardashians was not as important as getting a day off. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I, I really like the trial idea in the book. And I was wondering if you're in a big organisation or if you're in an organisation and you want to give this a go, 
Has has anyone within an organisation tried it? Like, is is would that work for a team or a business unit to try it? Well, yeah, absolutely, it does. In fact, uh, the, the the one of the great examples is we're working with uh, Unilever, and what Unilever are doing is precisely that. They've started with a country, in this case, New Zealand, and they're trialling it in New Zealand. I then think that the intention is to move on to a division and then they're going to try it in a division. And then eventually you will roll it out uh, across the organization. We always advise companies, larger companies, quite often, you know, pick the pick the department, the division where you think it'll work and put it in there first. Because if you do that, you'll learn some lessons. Then you go to the next complex department and put it in there and you'll learn a bit more. And if you do it that way, then in general terms, you'll find that, you know, it works and you can roll it out effectively and efficiently. That leads on to a question I've got about resistance. So you talk in the book about different levels of resistance and how to how to kind of manage that. I love the story about the um, the milking shed, the cows in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, look, I mean, this is one of the things that I have the, 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 the end chapter of the book is, is called Cows Need Milking Twice a Day, which is prompted by uh, a chap who was sitting next to me in an MP's office who asked me what I was there for four day week. And he then said, well, it wouldn't work in dairy. And I said, why not? He said, because cows need milking twice a day. Now, this is a typical example. What you find is a lot of business leaders will do one of two things. They will either say, well, it will work in your business, but it wouldn't work in mine. To which you then point out half a dozen companies in their sector that are actually working the four-day week. Or they will try and think of an industry, and this is what this chap did, where they believe by putting that example forward, it was, again, it will prove that it, it doesn't work. Now, what this really means, of course, if you think, let's talk dairy for a sec. You know, 100 years ago, we had a couple of guys in a paddock going mush behind some cows with a couple of pails. And then we moved on to, you know, barbed wire, a little bit of mechanization, um, we then put automated milking parlors. We then had computerized milking parlors, upgraded feed, A2 milk, keep going, keep going. What that man is saying is that the way we do things today is the pinnacle of human achievement, and there isn't a better way. That's what they're saying. And the reality, of course, is the five-day week is a construct of Henry Ford looking on a production line in the 1920s. So we work in the information age based on an automaton method of working on a car factory line from 1920. Now, that's madness. We know the world has moved on. And so what we've got to try and do is get leaders who are often conditioned you know i've always worked long hours i've always worked hard that way why should it be any different we've got to get to them to start to question that and whether the way we work today is fit for purpose for the 21st century and i wonder you know we've got lots of talk post covid during covid about flexibility about working from home about different ways of working about people's well-being there's a whole new opportunity and lots of conversation about different work models. Um, 
and I'm just wondering, have has how, how does how does that your thinking fit with the conversations that are happening about flexibility and working from home and COVID models? Just wondering about that. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, two the two big impediments to the four day week uh, before COVID were people said, well. Um, how can I trust my staff to do the job in four days rather than five? Um, and how do I measure productivity? Well, you found out now, actually, that bizarrely, A, your staff can actually be trusted to work from home and still be productive. And B, you then had to work out how to measure productivity. So the two big barriers disappeared through COVID. What we then found, of course, is, and if I look in New Zealand, we, out of a 2.6 million workforce, all but 200,000 of the workforce took government subsidy. We didn't. We actually had two record months and one month where we missed a record by $27,000. Now, the reason for that is suddenly we'd already worked out how to be resilient. If you've got somebody out of the office once a week, different person all the time, you have to have somebody to be able to backfill. You get yourself into a COVID environment. You get yourself into an environment where people are in lockdowns or have to stay at home because a member of the family has fallen ill. It makes no difference to us. We're already in the mode of being able to cover and be resilient. So from the point of view of efficient operation, the four-day week is more relevant now than ever. But equally, it's also relevant because if you're working from home, you're starting to increase the hours that you work. We always say, you, you, you know, you're no longer, um, you know, you're no longer working from home. You're sleeping in the office. Um, and that's the problem. So if you actually bring in a four day week, it helps you put those barriers around downtime, which is very, very important, especially when you've got most of, of your team you know working out of office thank you that's a, a, a I, I was i was having trouble kind of marrying covid with the four-day week concept so thank you I, I really love the way you've explained that um i do have questions about non-office based workers so i know you've talked about the the milking shed but you know retail hospitality uh i've worked in organizations where there's been a strong operational frontline uh, way of working. How how, how can the four day work four day week work for places like that? Well, uh, see, this is one of the problems. Of course, what we try and do is go. Oh, God, how could we possibly do that? You've got to ask your staff. That's the first point. How they would do it. But here's a few examples. Volkswagen have just moved their staff to four day week. That's car manufacturing. You will find that both in Iceland and the Swedish trials. It worked for medicine. By the way, the Americans kill 250,000 people a year in their health service as a consequence of misdiagnosis occasioned by stress and overwork. They can't hang on to doctors and they can't hang, over, hang on to nurses. And that's the same broadly around the world because they're stressed and overworked. What would happen if actually you gave them a day off a week and they worked a little less? you might find that you wouldn't get the attrition in medicine that you get. In education, American school districts, primarily for budget reasons, implemented a four-day week and then found, one, they could attract teachers that they couldn't get before, and their educational standards went up. Um, retail, um, well, we're in retail. Um, 
But but equally, there is some good evidence out of I think it was Gap, where people, if they traded a shift to find a shift that they wanted to work, they found that sales went up 10 percent because if you don't want to be there or you're tired, you don't make the effort to upsell that belt with that shirt or that expensive bottle of wine with that nice steak that you've just got. But this is the journey that we're on. This is a, a thing that transcends borders and cultures. Uh, we're all in this together. We're all overworking. Um, and actually, we don't need to. We can be better human beings in the office, and we can be better human beings at home if we rebalance the time we spend between work and home. That's, that's a wonderful place to end, but I do have one other question. <laughs> um, would love to hear your perspective around the role and the potential of the four-day week around sustainability. Well, the, the UC Davis uh, state said that uh, the most environmentally friendly thing you could do is not go into work. And that really relates to the emissions that, that relate to um, uh, the commute. Now, that being said, of course, if you take 20% of cars off the road, it's not just about the, the fact that you're not going in for one day. You get rid of, of congestion. Now, congestion also creates high levels of pollution. And if you can get to free flow, um, then, of course, you get better uh, economic output. So you end up with this virtuous circle where the evidence suggests that people on their day off appear to do low carbon local activities. You're reducing the carbon outputs of going to work. And what you're then doing is getting better productivity as a consequence of people not going into work. So it's not the silver bullet. But what it is, is a very material contributor to a reduction in, in greenhouse gases, which we need to find. But it's one, unlike many of the solutions that are being touted now, it, it's one which doesn't actually have an adverse economic impact. In fact, it has a positive economic impact. And that's what I think is so beautiful about it. Well, you've got me convinced. Uh, so thank you very much, Andrew, for having this conversation. It's been really lovely to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. You're very welcome. Let's get into the four-day week, take five. One, ask yourself, how productive are you or your teams in the workday? Research shows that in some countries, people are only productive a couple of hours a day. Two, 100 80, 100. What if you tried a way of working where you received 100% of your pay for 80% of the time, delivering 100% productivity? Three, be people-led on the four-day week. Get your people to work out what stuff to stop or do differently to increase productivity. Four, reduce disruption. For productivity to go up, disruption must go down. And five, just try it. Run a trial and see what happens. That's our Books at Work four-day week episode done and dusted. Please follow us at booksatwork.co.nz or Instagram Books at Work. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books at Work, making work better. Yeah.